1: We're talking about what else? The Ohio Senate Republican version of the budget again on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. It is truly stunning how many bad things the Senate Republicans are trying to get away with. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Jane Cahoon. Happy Tuesday, all. I sent you some adorable pictures. There were four fawns in the neighbor's yard yesterday, something I've just never seen before. Mm-hmm. They were cute. They
2: Aww. were adorable. They were I'll dear. Up, put, <laughs>
1: uh, I'm actually going to publish a post with them so everybody can see. them. i took take a bunch of pictures. Let's begin. Why are the big urban school districts the latest in a long line of critics who say the Ohio Senate Republicans, led by Northeast Ohio's very own Matt Dolan, attacked the poor to enrich the rich in their budget proposal jane cahoon i thought we had exhausted the possibilities of talking about all of the abuses of the citizenry that the senate republicans are visiting upon Mm -hmm. us but we have another one courtesy of the big eight school districts
3: yeah the big eight school districts had a news conference yesterday to really lay out their concerns over this and eric gordon the cleveland school ceo was a big player in this he he pointed out that the 25 wealthiest ohio public school districts would get the biggest percent increases in funding under the senate version of the budget and the 25 least wealthy districts in ohio would receive the smallest percent of increases so they're they're disturbed about that and 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 many other things but you know they they really favor the gordon and the other public education advocates really favor the House version of the education funding overhaul. And just to remind people, that was like three years in the making and the result of negotiations involving teachers and school administrators and Democrats and Republican lawmakers. And you might recall that the House passed a, a bipartisan, you know, standalone bill on this last year, but the Senate wouldn't act on that last year because they they thought it should be part of the budget. So here we are. The House put it in their version of the budget. And then the Senate went and tinkered with it a bunch and made a lot of people unhappy that the House version would provide $1.8 billion over six years, and, you know, when it's fully phased in, you know, with a minimum of around seven thousand dollars per student. But the Senate, you know, and, and Matt Dolan is right out front on this, said they don't want to commit future legislators to to that plan. Uh, you know, that they didn't vote for. And they he points out that it actually provides eight hundred and twenty five million more in the in the first two years of of the plan. But it's got a lower student minimum, about six thousand dollars. But anyway, go ahead. But
1: this is the the new thing, though, is yeah, it provides some more money in the first two years. It gives it to the rich districts and gives less to the poor districts. Let me ask you this. If you're a member of the family. That owns the Indians and you are soon to come before the public to ask for a big bunch of money to rehab the the baseball stadium. Do you really want your name affiliated with something that makes the rich get richer while Cleveland school kids get poorer? Is that a wise public relations move?
3: <laughs> you know, we didn't ask him that specific question, but we did try to reach him yesterday and we're not successful. So uh, I, I don't know what he would say in answer to that question. But, you I mean, know, what this
1: possess you to do that. What could you what could possess you to take children who are in poverty and make it harder for them than than what the house is trying to do we all know that that there's so many more educational challenges for children in poverty that the cleveland school district deals with challenges that people in the suburbs can't imagine yeah. so w- why would you matt dolan chagrin falls do that why would you torpedo Cleveland schools and all the other urban school districts it doesn't make sense to me.
3: He he would call it a sustainable plan that provides more money. I mean, he really he believes in this. He he wrote an op-ed for us, you you might recall, de- right. defending the whole thing. But, I, uh, I get the
1: money. I get I get that part of it, but dividing it up among the school districts, none of what he says explains that.
3: Yeah, you know, and and uh, one thing that was pointed out yesterday is that their the plan in the Senate looks looks at property values and and, and the House version looked at both property values and average income which helped the urban district more because these communities, they might have high valued property, but but a lot of people who are in poverty. So, uh, the the other thing that was pointed out that I wasn't aware of was it it this version kind of gives a gift to charter schools at the expense of the urban schools. They they have a provision in there that requires districts to sell or lease their buildings to charter STEM or college preparatory boarding schools in the district's boundaries, if there if the facility has been used for direct academic instruction, but less than sixty percent of the building is used for that purpose in the preceding school year so i mean what gordon said is this is like evicting our school children out of their own buildings to give it to somebody else for other school children and and there's no provision that requires the charter schools to use the you know use the buildings at 100% capacity he said they often don't have a hundred percent capacity because they might be using their buildings for other services that poor kids need, like after school programming and, and wraparound services. So that's you know, that's just one thing. And then you not even think,
1: you would think there'd be a lawsuit about that. That that's basically just taking property. I mean that's basically provoking yeah. property rights. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that, that one
3: at all. And then um you know outside of the school funding plan, the the They also noted things that we've talked about before, like doing away with the rating system for daycares that are that are subsidized and then and eliminating the one hundred and ninety million that would have expanded. broadband. you know, so these were pointed out as things that really affect, you know, early childhood education and the importance of that. And um, so they just, you know, they're they're really not happy about this. No,
1: and they they shouldn't be. This is like Let's let's design a plan to hurt poor people as much as we possibly can and and stick it into the budgets and no one talks about it. We'll have to see where it goes in reconciliation. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What the Cleveland City Council members have to say about Mayor Frank Jackson's proposal to create a new city department to handle events. Leila Tassi, this was odd because Frank Jackson is leaving office after 16 years, but one of the things he wants to do before he goes is create this department to streamline events. Lots of people complain about City Hall, that there's no one stop for anything. So you could argue it's a good idea. But there's a sneaking suspicion that this is really about finding a place to salt away some employees.
0: Yeah. You know, some members of council rightfully are questioning whether this is the best use of public funds right now. Jackson's proposal to create a division aimed at promoting Cleveland for major events and filmmaking came before City Council's Municipal Services and Properties Committee on Monday And drew a lot of deserved criticism. This legislation would take the Office of Special Events, which currently has two employees, and expand it to a division of special events, filming and tourism, which would be staffed by a team of seven and led by a commissioner. And it would cost $800,000 a year. Council members Brian Casey and Charles Slife wanted to know why Cleveland needs this, because It seems like the city's doing a pretty good job of attracting big events we had the rnc we had the nfl draft the 2016 world series and it seems like every year we've got a couple movies filming here right i mean casey and slife pointed out pointed to the fact that there are plenty of better ways to spend that eight hundred thousand dollars to meet the needs of residents for example providing rides for seniors who say they have no way to get to their medical appointments or training paramedics or paving roads And the city just you know they were very defensive of the plan and said this is an important government function that requires more people behind it than just the current department manager but when slife asked why not just hire a few more people for the current department director michael cox said a commissioner-led division would bring continuity to the city's recruitment efforts for filmmakers and event planners that's because commissioners unlike managers have civil service protections and therefore retain their jobs when a new mayor takes office. Okay, so that to me suggests that Jackson might be creating this division to protect someone from getting purged from a government job when a new mayor takes over. I mean, that's just speculation at this point. But it's the only explanation that makes sense to me.
1: It's widespread speculation. People suggested that the minute this thing was dropped, that it was creating a position for some favored cabinet member that's not getting a job elsewhere. Uh, But, you know, if the council doesn't create it, the position doesn't exist and he he won't get to do that, although there's probably plenty of positions that are open. It's just odd That in his final six, seven months, this becomes a thing like, and, and it's after what you said, we've had movies, we had the RNC, we've had event after event after event. So so what's really driving this? Right. What, what also makes it interesting is council's all up for reelection, So yeah. everything they do gets under a microscope. So if they do this, their opponents will say, look what they're doing. They're squandering money. So I it's know. a very interesting moment.
0: We, you know what? And we also already have Destination Cleveland to draw on those big events. And I'm sure they do a way better job than this new division could do. And we've got the Greater Cleveland Film Commission to attract film crews. And again, if Jackson is suggesting that his people can do a better job, that's just laughable. So Cox also suggested that creating the division could could allow the city to begin offering some event-related services online. And that would include things like Um, you know, the creation of an online permit application process and a digital listing of city parks and other properties, please. But you can do that now. I know. And why why hasn't it been done? It's 2021 and people still can't apply for permits online or view a digital listing of city parks. You need to create a new city division to get that done. What? I mean, oh my gosh. Listen, someone was just telling me about this. A source from a nonprofit world was telling me that Uh, During the pandemic, they had to make appointments to go to City Hall to file paperwork because the city doesn't know how to receive it digitally. I, I mean, I think we should do a whole story on this. City Hall is facing its own digital divide, apparently.
1: <laughs> well, it is. What, what's interesting too, I, I mean, we're going to go back and look at this, but when Mike White left office years ago, there were there were some people moved into jobs that that gave them some protections, as I recall. Hmm. Um, yeah, and you know, when Jane Campbell came in, she did get rid of a whole lot of people that didn't have those protections, and so I, you could see where a mayor would try to take care of people that have served them, but creating an entire department to do so is raises serious questions. We'll have to see whether the whole council supports this or continues to ask these, these challenging questions. You're listening to This Week in this CLE. We talked a week ago about the meaning of the completion of the towpath trail to Lake Erie, but Steve Litt writes about another big moment for those who want to enjoy the lake access to Wendy Park. Laura Johnston, you love access to the lake. This is a big deal for
0: you.
2: I do. This is really cool. There is now a pedestrian bridge to Wendy Park. So you don't have to first ride your bike or walk to Edgewater and then along this very narrow road past the sewer district plant and the port facility to get to the big park at the mouth of the river. And so this is a $6 million, 500 foot long bridge on um, on Whiskey Island, which is this triangular, triangular peninsula. Uh, It's where the Coast Guard station is way out in the water. And there is a private marina. There's a ton of um, sand volleyball courts. There's a bar and grill. And this idea has been 10 years in the making. The bridge spans the Norfolk Southern Railroad lines that bisect Whiskey Island. So these cyclists and pedestrians get direct access to the 22 acres of park. The park has been run by um the metro park since 2014 and now you can get there directly from a whole bunch of other trails including the towpath trail
1: have you been there yet
2: no i haven't been there yet i need to i need to go down there and and try out all these new trails i feel like you know you could spend a whole day just like i want to go this way now i want to go that way there's just a whole lot of them now
1: yeah, and people that are taking the new section of the towpath are, are describing the the view as something you just don't get in other cities. That it's just spectacular. So very yeah, cool. Then,
2: think about it right now. Like you're going over this very gritty section, you know, over by the salt mine and and the uh, where the iron ore pellets are are unloaded. And now you have a safe way to get there, and you can still see all this really cool industry and and how you know the water meets cleveland's industrial sector i think it's just a really neat thing to and very cleveland
1: i imagine john pano will probably do a video giving us all a tour for people who don't go down there yeah Uh, and then when i ask you next week if you've been there i'm betting you'll say yes (laughs) you're listening to this week in the cle what is the Ohio House plan to allow coal plants to continue getting subsidies from Ohio ratepayers? Is this the ghost of House Bill Six, that corruption-born law that was going to give First Energy a whole lot of money at our expense? Jen Kuhn, I'm not going to make you go deep on this because this was not our story. This was a story <laughs> done by ION Ohio, the nonprofit journalism entity that makes its content available to all. We did publish it, and and it it is interesting. So tell us what it says.
3: Yeah, I think it does raise raise some eyebrows. Basically, there's a bill in the legislature that would phase out rate programs that have allowed Ohio's electric utilities to collect billions of dollars in subsidies over the past dozen or so years. Uh, and that sounds good, right? But it would continue coal plant subsidies, and it would also cut authority for energy efficiency, Programs, and as you said, it's a bit complicated, but it but it focuses on what they call electric security plans or ESP, which I like that, um, and that that allows utilities to to add these riders and other charges that don't undergo the full regulatory review by the PUCO, and and many of those ended up producing sub, subsidies that ratepayers get stuck with, and for years, consumer advocates and environmental advocates uh, have tried to end these ESPs. So this bill would would do that but but as i said there are reasons to be skeptical about it. It's sponsored by Representative Shane Wilkins who was also a primary sponsor of House Bill 6 and also voted against expelling Larry Householder, who is uh, accused of being the mastermind of this $60 million bribery scheme to get that law passed. But, uh, you know, Wilkins Wilkins said, you know, he spoke in favor of getting rid of these uh, ESPs and and all these riders and so forth, um, which, you know, environmental people just say this is a, a terrible way of utilities getting all these, you know, riders in without the proper scrutiny. But despite that, this bill would let companies like American Electric Power, Duke Energy, and Dayton Power and Light charge rate payers through 2030 for electricity from two, like, 1950s-era coal plants and so that was something that's kind of where the ghost of hb6 comes why, in
1: why why is it just that the coal plants give them lots of money and they take care of them yeah and why they, would, why, i
3: i don't why know. would we
1: do that why would we continue to pollute the air why we're,
3: why we're, why yes yeah. <laughs> i mean so. there, there's
1: the coal plant i mean the whole coal industry has collapsed everybody knows that, right. that natural gas is a much better way to make the power and and yet we're going to make ohioans continue to prop yeah. these things up. It's just bizarre. Yeah.
3: And that would, um, uh, they they reported, ION Ohio said the estimated cost for the plants through 2030 would be roughly $700 million. So that would continue. And then one other thing, like while, while it would get rid of these or phase out these ESPs, uh, it, it said that there's a potential um, to... To have utilities implement what they call economic development and job retention programs, which could be just another way to allow utilities to justify shifting some other costs yeah. to consumers. So the critics are saying this, these are maybe just riders under a different name. So this generally has kind of an unpleasant smell to it.
1: Yeah, good work by I on Ohio. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Why are Cleveland City Council members skeptical of Mayor Frank Jackson's claims to be working on a recycling program for the city? Well, Tassi, Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, I know you all believe big time in recycling because we're all green, but the city is coming up against the economics of this problem that, recycling has become very costly, Hmm. that there's not a big market for it. So, Layla, what's going on here?
0: Well, (laughs) Jackson had promised that by mid-year, which is now, the recycling program would be up and running again after being on pause since uh, April 2020. But here we are, and the city still doesn't have a contract with a recycler or a recycling coordinator, as Jackson had promised. And Council members are frustrated about it on behalf of their constituents who had been told to keep separating their trash from their recyclables just to stay in the habit of it, even as it all gets sent to a landfill. Bob Higgs reports that the problem with recycling is that the market for recyclable materials has nearly disappeared. At at one point, vendors paid Cleveland about $20 a ton for recyclable goods. By the end of 2018, the city was getting just $1.50 per tonne. That same year, China effectively closed its market for recyclables, which had been accepting. They had been accepting about forty percent of U.S. recyclable goods, and the market for plastics has completely evaporated. So now it would cost the city money to get the program up and running again.
1: But look, so, you know, so so let me let me interrupt you. So why not just do aluminum? Why why not? Yeah, right. Start, somebody start somewhere. Said, Let's, but, but if if you knew, Laura Johnston is a big a greenie, and so she knew the only thing in her house that's going to get recycled is aluminum, she may buy her brev- beverages in aluminum instead of plastic because she wants stuff to be recycled. Why, why not focus? I mean, there's always a market for aluminum. I can't imagine that there's not... Uh, a way to sell that. Why aren't they why aren't they specializing and focusing? Well,
0: exactly. And that's the argument that some council members are making is that let's at least start with some recyclable products that we can tell our residents to separate out. They can, you know, count on them being recycled. You know, I, I get it. It's complicated. I also get that Jackson is months away from retirement and probably doesn't care that much about this, but people people expect a recycling program today. No one wants to send stuff to a landfill that will outlive us by a thousand years. I think it's time to stop thinking of recycling as a service you provide only when it yields a revenue stream and start thinking of it as a necessity, just like trash collection. So you provide the service, even if it costs the city to do so. And when it comes to the market forces at play here, I'd argue that every suburb is dealing with the same markets. And just yes. about every suburb well, manages wait, wait, to wait, offer wait. Yeah, I, side recycling. So. I do
1: want to hear from Laura whether she would, would concentrate on aluminum if that was the case. But, but you're suggesting that a city that, that doesn't have a lot of money and has a lot of needs, like lead paint abatement and, and other things, should spend money on recycling? even even though there's no return on it
0: yes i think so I mean, they're huh. going to spend eight hundred thousand dollars on a uh, a a new uh, you know division for attracting filmmakers to Cleveland. Maybe not. I, I, Maybe I, not. Yes, you know. Listen, and also <laughs> it's it's the hypocrisy. When thinking about this story, I went back and was looking at the the website for Jackson's Sustainable Cleveland Initiative and its slogan, "A green city on a blue lake." And it was reminded of all the summits the city has held on themes like vibrant green spaces and renewable energy and zero waste. They continue to encourage others who hold events in the city to aim for zero waste. And it made me so mad to think of how Hypocritical it is that the city would lecture others right, and then point. hold us to a zero waste standard. I, I totally, I
2: totally agree with you on the sustainability, uh, Layla. I do think this is a really difficult question because yes, what, how important is recycling in the grand scheme of things? Not even to a city, but like, how much is my recycling my Diet Coke cans meaning to the planet? Like, I think this is a very small part of a very big issue, and we feel very passionate about it because it's something we learned we have control over, like know, like my rain barrel or my compact post heap. And I want my stuff to be recycled. So I don't for personally feel guilty about eating Cool Whip. But like, that's not not the biggest issue with our wow, environment. Wow, that is the right? line
1: of the day. I don't want to feel guilty about eating Cool Whip. I mean, there are that's... other
2: reasons I should probably feel guilty about eating Cool Whip. But I think, you know, we need to talk about this as a big problem and the packaging. And Layla, you're the one who schooled me on the Keep America Beautiful campaign and all of the litter. And we really need to go after the packaging so that we don't have all this plastic that can't be recycled. You're totally correct. Let's talk about that.
0: I mean, yes. Is is it possible we're all being duped by these programs and and, and that they're, you know, we're taking the time to rinse out these bottles just for it to all get dumped in a landfill anyway? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, yeah. We
1: should do. We should. We should do a special episode on this topic because <laughs> clearly the passion is there. But for Leave today, we out. got to move on. Uh, you're listening for this week in the CLE. With all the complaints by people like Senator Rob Portman and Lieutenant Governor John Houston about how employers cannot find workers for all their open positions, how is it that Ohio unemployment went up in May? Laura Johnston, the explanation that they offered yesterday, I'm throwing the flag. I'm not buying that that's causing it. There's something going on here. I just don't understand what it is.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to be the big defender of this one. There there are theories about what's happening, but no one has the answer. And even the experts are saying these look fishy. But job openings are soaring both nationwide and in Ohio. Unemployment in Ohio rose to 5% last month after spending two months at 4.7%. And the labor force, which is residents with a job or, or who are looking for one, actually was reduced by about 218,000 workers last month to about 5.5 million workers. So the economic sectors with the most job losses included trade, transportation and utilities and financial activities and manufacturing. So one factor in this is that the supply chain problems. I mean, we've written no end of stories about the stuff you can't get right now, even if you've ordered it. So if you can't get the stuff, you can't make it into other stuff. You can't install it. You can't deliver it. But it just seems really bizarre that we're all wringing our hands over a so-called labor shortage when the number of jobs, you know, people employed is actually dropping.
1: Yeah, I just I I wonder if this is part of the trend of people reevaluating their lives and just deciding to make changes. We've got to get to the bottom of it because I just don't buy that it's supply chain problems. It's, there's some There are people that are filing for unemployment, even though there's a gazillion open jobs in a lot of fields. What, well, and what, it's clear
2: they don't want the jobs that are open, right? I mean, well, we've it, talked about this on the podcast before. They, right. you know, they just don't think it's worth their time, or they can't do it with childcare or elder care issues. And I think we are looking at a whole reckoning of our economy based on what people want to do with their time.
1: So here's the thought: You're John Houston. You got all these open jobs. You got an unemployment higher. Why wouldn't you go and find out what? the job classifications are of the people filing for unemployment to find the disconnect. That might be helpful. Because he's too of...
2: busy telling you to go get a job. Yeah,
1: to go get a job.
2: <laughs> or, or go to his training programs.
1: Yeah. yeah okay, or how about listening.
2: investigate what
0: is what are the the barriers that people are facing and solve that. You know, like if it's right. childcare, solve that problem. God. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, Layla Atasha <laughs> You're listening to this week in the C L E. What is Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan's beef with Microsoft? Or is he just rounding out his list of complaints against all the big tech companies? Jen Kuhn, I get why he'd complain about Twitter and Facebook because they won't let his fringe friends say falsehoods on their platforms. But what is he Microsoft isn't social media. What's he going after Microsoft <laughs> yeah. for? Isn't is like Microsoft little... Word's autocorrect? <laughs>
3: It's, you're almost correct about that, but I I would point out that both Republicans and Democrats alike seem to enjoy demonizing big tech. But you're right; Jordan has complained about you know censorship on social media. But as I said, this is a little different. He he wrote a letter to the president of Microsoft, Brad Smith, and it opened with the salvo: "Big tech, including Microsoft, is out to get conservatives." So he he basically thinks that. Democrats are protecting Microsoft against any kind of uh, antitrust scrutiny, you know, noting that how many companies Microsoft has acquired and 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 that it's captured an estimated 87.5 percent of the office suite market. But um, what what he One of the things he complained about is he he doesn't like Microsoft's word processing program, you know, Microsoft Word, because it it does things like, you know, favors gender, gender neutral language. And and he says they're they're exerting editorial control over (laughs) user generated content in Microsoft Word. And, uh, you know, because the word tool uh, ideas in word tool urges users to avoid certain language and and instead adopt you know what they consider to be more appropriate he thinks that's just orwellian and and that microsoft's uh, words um, terms of service which prohibit hate speech or offensive language he he said that creates the potential for them to prevent users from generating certain content on word All together. So he's demanding they explain their rationale.
1: Is he suggesting that if people wanted to type hate speech into Microsoft Word, it would reject them? I'm pretty sure that's not so.
3: (laughs) You know, I think when you use that tool, it just it 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 urges you to to, you know. Um, not use hate, hate then speech. don't use it, the yeah. pool. I
1: mean, you could turn it's it like, off. This is bizarre. It's almost like he wants people to be able to to, to say wildly crazy things and, and nothing should ever get in the way. It's just bizarre to go after Microsoft Word. Yeah, really? you know, it's... Yeah.
0: In defense wow. of hate speech, too. <laughs> yeah it's just it's a strange
1: one. I I mean, I get it, Facebook and Twitter, but come on, it's a word processing program. What's his next thing? it's going to, he's gonna go after spreadsheets because he he wants it to add up things differently. you know, the Republicans often tell you two plus two equals five. you know, Donald Trump won the election, and the spreadsheet doesn't let you make those kind of false statements. Maybe feel, that's what I, it is. We I want to be like able to make false statements.
2: He's just like standing on his lawn just like yelling, Get off my lawn and like whatever he he's like. That's the next thing he's going to yell about. Like last week, it was college campuses and trying to make them more free for, you could argue, hate speech. Next, it'll be no, ba- baby
0: deer, Chris. He's going to be after the no, baby no, deer.
2: No, think think about though,
1: what, what he and his colleagues have done. They've tried to convince you that what you saw on January 6th didn't happen. They've tried to convince you that the election was stolen. They are telling absolute falsehoods. They wouldn't like the spreadsheet because it's math and they and it keeps you honest on the math. They want to be able to tell falsehoods, you know, so they're going after Microsoft. Oh, well, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We'll be back with another discussion
0: on Wednesday.